Right. Well, I am Scott, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a joy to be here with you. I want to invite you at this time to open your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 11. That's where we'll be today. If you don't have a Bible, there are always Bibles on those little tables as you come in. Not only can you use those, but you can keep them if you don't have one. Uh, you're also allowed to use your smart apps here, too, so if you need to pull it up that way, that's fine also on your smartphone. So um, when I was in Ecuador uh, back in May, so our team just came back, but there was another trip that, that I went on with Zach and Kim for the purpose of training pastors. And uh, I was there speaking with a woman who was getting some of the leadership training as well. And she shared a personal story that is unfortunately very common in Ecuador. And that was that at a young age, she, her brother, and mother were abandoned by her father. And as we were talking, uh, she shared some of the challenges that she faced in light of that abandonment. And one of the questions that I asked for her as I was listening to this story was what qualities of God's character were most meaningful to her as she worked through the hardship of her experience. And, and I find, found her answer very interesting. This is what she said. She said, I've never found it difficult to believe that God is sovereign over all things. But I have really struggled believing that he is good. Can you relate to her struggle? In my years as a pastor, I've observed that it's pretty common for people's experiences in life to affect the way they view God. To some of us, we see God as powerful, and yet inaccessible. To others, perhaps we see him as harsh and unloving. Now, we can psychologize all we want about how past experiences could affect the way we view God, but I really don't think it's necessary for us to take a lot of time to do that. I say this because there's really only one dependable way for us to form a correct view of God, and that is through his holy word. The good news is this, in today's scripture of Luke 11, we're going to have the opportunity to see how God's character is, is that of a loving father, a loving father who provides graciously for his children. And so let's turn now to Luke 11, verses 1 through 13, as Laurel reads us in the reading of God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, 
He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this specific word you have for us today. Lord, I pray as we come this morning, knowing that in our hearts there are a number of distractions, that we have been formed and shaped as a people in the context of a broken world with broken relationships. And I pray by your grace and through the work of the Holy Spirit, you might scale back those false assumptions and open our eyes in a new and deeper way to the realities of your word and the truth of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, because our focus this summer is on parables, um, I'm only going to take a few minutes unpacking verses 1 through 4 because it will provide a good context for us as we prepare to look more intently upon the parable and that which follows. So, the account begins at an undisclosed location, and Jesus has been away with the Father in prayer. Historically, we know, uh, as we read the Bible and the Gospels, that Jesus got away a lot. It was very important to him to commune with his Father through prayer. But this time was a little different, in that following his prayer, one of the disciples, they asked the question, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus responded with this model prayer that many of you who have grown up in the church have heard many times. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, there is another version of this prayer. You may think, hey, that that didn't sound exactly like the one I said growing up. There's another version of this in Matthew 6. It was actually delivered, probably at a different time. Therefore, it's, it's a deviation in some ways from this version. And the, but the fact that there are several variations of this prayer, it makes something very clear to us. It makes clear that this is less about the exact specific words. And it's more about the themes. Themes which include addressing the Father as holy. Praying for the growth of his kingdom on earth. We pray about that all the time. Another theme is that he's our provider who he not only provides for us in simple things like our daily bread, but he also provides for us as he forgives our sin, as he strengthens us in our regular need to forgive others. And this model prayer leads us to today's parable. You see, up to this point, Jesus has shown them an example. Here's how you should pray. But he now wants to cut right to the heart by helping them to understand not only what to pray, but the importance of the attitude behind our prayer. And so the first observation that we're going to make today is this, that the Father 
invites us to pray to him with boldness. Let's read again verses 5 through 8 in this parable. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus develops a scenario for us. So imagine that you are in that story. You are asleep in the middle of the night and you hear a knock on your door. A dear friend of yours arrived late at night, and it's been after a long journey that he gets there. And of course, as would have been customary in that day, you are expected at that moment to provide him a meal. He is, after all, a a weary traveler, but there is one problem. You don't have any bread. Uh, Maybe your friend showed up a few days early, or maybe just surprised you. Maybe you didn't know he was even coming. Whatever the case, you have a problem. There are no 24-hour Walmarts, okay? There's nothing you can do in that regard. And the only choice you have is to get food from a neighbor. The problem is, this is no small inconvenience for your neighbor. This is not only because it's at midnight, that's bad enough, right? But, but in that day, uh, most homes were one-room homes, okay? And we see this in verse 7 as the neighbor speaks through the door, don't bother me. My, my children, they're sleeping. Now, those of you with young children or who have had young children, you get the whole sleeping baby thing, right? Yeah, you get that? Now, when Carrie and I raised our kids, we tried to actually intentionally make the home kind of noisy at all times because we wanted the kids to be able to sleep even if the house uh, became somewhat loud. But I have been to many of your homes, and yes, When the baby goes down, it's like a library. And mom and dad are like grumpy librarians, right? Shh, the baby's sleeping. Well, you get the point, don't you? Uh, This wasn't a good situation for the neighbor. And it should be noted that, that in that day, the doors were locked. They were likely large wooden doors with big metal rings and a and a shaft that would go through those rings. So Even if he could somehow muddle his way through and find some bread, just the opening of the door would have been quite a production and would have woken the family. And this is where Jesus makes the point of the parable. In verse 8, he speaks of the neighbor. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, which means because of his boldness, Because of that, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what Jesus is clarifying here is that friendship is not enough to motivate your neighbor to help. Instead, what motivates your neighbor to help is the fact that you have the guts to actually knock on the door in the middle of the night. Because in the culture of that day, the neighbor knew the only honorable thing was to help out this man. And so 
Saying no wasn't an option. This means that the bread wasn't provided because of friendship, but again, because of boldness. Because you had the courage to ask. And the point of the parable is this. In the same way as the man approached his neighbor with boldness, we too must bring our requests in prayer to the Father with boldness. Now, one of the more difficult lessons I've had to learn in my life is that I need to be more comfortable asking people for help. Because I was that kid in school who never raised my hand. I, I never asked the teacher for help. Now, at the time, I probably didn't fully understand why I behaved in that way. But in hindsight, I think there are several insights related to my heart. One was that I was afraid to ask a question because I didn't want to look foolish in front of other people. Another reason was that to ask for help, it, it felt like a sign of weakness to me. See, in both cases, I had this little problem called pride, a problem that I'm still working on today. You see, though, what I've learned is that my unwillingness to ask for help, it's rooted in my desire to look good to other people and to find my worth in my own ability to achieve. And and the reality is this is a pretty common value in our culture, too. We, We live in a world that's obsessed with individual achievement. This is why the superhero narrative is so popular today. We all want to be that person who wakes up in the morning with superpowers, right? So that we can fight the ultimate evil and save the day for others. But do you see the problem with this way of thinking in light of today's parable? According to our culture, success comes from personal achievement, But according to the parable, our success comes from recognizing our need and boldly asking for help. Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest leaders in American history, wrote, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. What I want us to see here is that our prayer life is deeply connected to the condition of our heart. Jesus, he's inviting us to live a different way. He's inviting us to live differently than the world that surrounds us. Like President Lincoln, he's inviting us to admit our need and Run to the Father with confidence. So how are you doing at this? How are you doing at running with confidence and boldness to the Father in prayer? Uh, I have a friend, Pat, who got a flat tire on his bike this week. And instead of just moping his way home, he took a moment and he prayed, Lord, provide someone with a bike pump. And he called me uh, with excitement because God had not only provided that tire pump, but he provided a random stranger with a brand new tube that fit his bike and the ability to fix that bike tire in just a few minutes. Now, God's lesson for Pat could have been 
to learn to rejoice on a long walk home. But Pat asked with confidence, and the father saw fit to meet the need beyond his expectations. And so, is your impulse when trouble comes, be it simple or be it complex, is your impulse to run boldly to the Father? So the observation that we've made thus far is that the Father invites us to pray to Him, to go to Him with boldness. The next observation we're going to make is that the Father loves to provide for us through prayer. And this leads to verses 9 and 10. Now, Jesus, he's making a point of application here for us. Follow along. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So what Jesus wants us to see here is that the Father provides for us when we pray. He provides as we ask, and the answer is given to us. He provides as we seek, and then we find. And he provides as we knock, and we are then welcomed into his blessing. Now, I know some of you hear stuff like this, and you get a little nervous. You think, okay, Scott, if I really want a new Jaguar, if I pray boldly to God and ask him to give the desires of my heart, what's he going to do? Well, I can say with confidence that that is not what Jesus is getting at here. You see, prayer is more about just asking. As we see here, it's also seeking. Think about it this way. There are a number of ways to answer a question using the internet. Uh, To ask Google a question implies you type that question in and within a few clicks, you're going to have an answer. But, but seeking the internet for an answer implies that you're searching, that you're pouring through links, that you're making sure that your answer and the answer that you find is, is accurate, is trustworthy. And what I want us to see here is that to seek through prayer, it suggests that we are searching the heart of God that we are exploring his word in order to pray according to his will and his purposes and his glory. Now, a clear example of this can be seen in Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus, he's also teaching there about how God loves to provide for his children. And he tells them that that they need to not be anxious about the food or clothing that they need, but the one thing that they should do is this, to seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to them. What what I want us to see here is that Jesus' picture of asking, seeking, and knocking, it communicates a depth of understanding that our prayer should not only be bold, but should be informed by our relationship with God, informed by the depths and the riches of his word, that ultimately our prayer is less about the request and it's more about communing, communing with a loving father who delights in providing for his children. In other words, it's not just about boldly asking, but also seeking. It's not just about seeking, but about knocking 
as we enter his presence in anticipation of him meeting our deepest needs. E.M. Bounds wrote in The Weapon of Prayer, the central significance of prayer is not in the things that happen as results, but in the deepening intimacy and unhurried communion with God at his central throne of control in order to discover a sense of God's need in order to call on God's help to meet that need. Let me illustrate this idea one more way. Imagine a a young child with loving parents, okay? Now, as those of you who've had or perhaps have a friend who has young children, you know that there are many uh, seasons of life where they ask lots and lots of questions. Question after question after question. We just had one of these children visiting our home for a few days. And now, it doesn't take long for this questioning child to figure out that their parent will at times say yes or no, or not now, but it doesn't keep the child from asking, does it? Why is this the case? Well, I would argue that the child keeps asking, not because they're assured of always getting what they want, but because they see their parents as providers. So to take this a step further, the fact that these parents are loving parents who generously provide, this produces a sense of confidence in the child. Confidence that that they can bring their request to dad and mom, knowing that their parents desire to bless them according to their needs. So, So how does this picture How does this picture of God as a loving father, how does it inform our prayer? I think it points back really to that first observation. The fact that God is a loving provider means it's safe. It's safe to approach him with confidence in prayer. Why? Because he's loving, because he desires and and delights in meeting our needs. And this leads to the final observation. To, To review, though, the father... He invites us to pray to him with boldness. The Father loves to provide for us through prayer. And the final observation, that we have a good Father who not only provides, but he generously gives us the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what kind of parent would give a child asking for food a snake or scorpion? Well, it's, it's unthinkable that a parent would do something like that. And Jesus, he's using this, this picture, this lesser to greater argument, which is common in uh, the, the li- a common literary device in the Jewish culture. And, and what he's explaining is this. Even if an evil parent would avoid such cruelty, how much more 
will our good and loving Father give to us richly when we ask in prayer? This leads us back, really, to that parable we read just a few moments ago. Remember that neighbor who begrudgingly answers the door at midnight? What God's telling us in verses 11 through 13 is that he would never do that. He would never do that. We can come to him with everything imaginable at any time because we know with confidence he will give to us according to his goodness and love. And what's this gift that he gives us? In verse 13, it's the promised Holy Spirit. Now, some of you not familiar with Christianity may be like, who's that guy? (laughs) Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, in short, the Holy Spirit's the the third person of the Trinity. God, in his very nature, is three and yet also one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's role in, in Scripture is to live inside of all believers, to help us, to assist us, and living out God's purposes for us here on earth. Now, it's worth noting that in verse 13, Jesus doesn't say that we're to ask for the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus says the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So when you go to God for whatever you ask, God gives you the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me illustrate this through some thoughts from uh, Pastor John MacArthur regarding what the Bible says we're getting when we make a request to God and he answers through the Holy Spirit. When you go to God for comfort, he gives you the comforter. When you go to God for help, he gives you the helper. When you ask for truth, he gives you the truth teacher. When you ask for power, he gives you the spirit of power. When you ask for wisdom, he gives you the spirit of wisdom. For guidance, he gives you the guide. When you ask for love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, he gives you the spirit whose fruit was given to you when you first believed. You see, this is the generosity of God. You ask for the gift, he gives the giver. You ask for the effect, he gives the cause. You ask for the product, he gives the source. Is this not generosity at its best? It's as if you ask God for money, as if you're going to the bank, And instead of money, he gives you the bank. And this is the point of these verses. God gives us the Holy Spirit. Because with the Holy Spirit comes real power. Do you see how God is a good father who gives generously to his children? So to conclude, what we need to see in Luke 11 is this. The Father wants us to approach him with an attitude of boldness and confidence. And why? Because he loves to provide for us as we ask, seek, and knock. Not only this, but he's a good father 
who gives it generously to us through the promised Holy Spirit. Now remember at the beginning of this message, I invited us to consider how it is our life experiences inform our perception of God. And because of this, many of us go through life seeing God as distant and unapproachable. What I want you to know is that that Jesus' original audience who heard this would likely have seen God in the same way. In, In the ancient world, people's view of God was similar to their view of an ancient monarch or king. If you recall in the book of Esther, for those of you who are familiar with that book, it describes that if someone is to enter the inner court of the Persian king without being summoned, that he would be immediately put to death. So what this idea of an ancient monarch meant is that if someone was to approach them, they would do so very carefully. It was not unheard of in that day that subjects would enter the room walking backwards or crawling their way to the king. In many cases, when you would enter the room, you would see the king elevated high above so that all subjects who come to him would always be below his feet. Whatever the case, one's approach to the king was with hesitancy. It was delicate. It was with with no demand or expectation, only meekness and fear. But what you need to see in the scripture is that God is just the opposite of every one of those things. He is absolutely available, abundantly approachable, gracious, merciful, compassionate, kind, and he loves it when you go into his presence boldly asking for anything that you want. You can go into his presence anytime, and you won't be interrupting him. Matter of fact, he desires you to do that. And not only does he desire it, but he promises that when you come, he will provide. And that as he provides, he will not only meet your needs, but he will exceed your expectations by giving you the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, it's difficult to wrap our minds around this truth. That you are a good, good father. So many of us have attempted to define our experience and understanding of you from earthly relationships. But the thing that we learn as we approach your word is that it doesn't matter if we had the best mom and dad in the world. They're still infinitely short, infinitely far from the goodness of who you are. Lord, so free us from defining you by any experience. Free us from defining you by any relationship. Open our eyes to see the truth of your word and what it has to teach us about how much you love us and how much you delight in meeting our needs.
because of this, Lord, may we not walk, but may we run with confidence into your arms, asking whatever it is that is on our heart. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.